I'm Dennis Tuberg, and this is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. Glad you decided to listen in today. Hey, I've got a terrific program lined up for you today. Joining me in segments two and three of today's program is Mr. Michael Pento. Michael is the president and founder of Pento Portfolio Strategies. Michael is also the host of the popular podcast, The Midweek Reality Check. Michael will be joining me again in segments two and three to talk about today's market, Fed policy, and what he thinks you should be doing with your money now. It is May, which means I have a brand new May special report for you. The special report for May is titled IRA and 401k Strategies. To get your copy of this report, all you need to do is visit the website, requestyourreport.com. When you go there, just let us know where to mail the report as well as the bonus information. We'll be very glad to do that. Again, the May 2023 special report is titled IRA and 401k Strategies. The report contains investing strategies and tax strategies for today's environment, keeping in mind that uh, we've got about three more years of more favorable tax rates and many IRA owners can take advantage of these lower tax rates over the next few years. The report gives you more detail. Again, uh, visit requestyourreport.com, and I'll be very glad to send you a copy of the report as well as the bonus information. Again, that is requestyourreport.com. You know, the Fed is now tightening. They raised interest rates another quarter point this past week. And I believe that we are now maybe seeing the beginnings of deflation. And I'll talk more in today's program with Mr. Michael Pento about that very topic. Now, if you've been a longtime listener to the program, you know that I have long noted that it's my belief that what we've experienced since the financial crisis is really a prosperity illusion. Now, why do I say that? You might say, hey, the economy's been great, Dennis. Uh, Why do you say this is a prosperity illusion? And really for one simple reason. As things have been clicking along behind the scenes, debt has been building. Worldwide debt at the time of the financial crisis in 2008 was about $100 trillion. Worldwide debt today is about $300 trillion. And I would liken the prosperity illusion analogy to you getting a credit card that has unlimited spending for a few years. You can do what you want, buy what you want. It seems that you're very, very prosperous, but once the time is up on that unlimited spending credit card, you have to return to reality. Well, as debt has built from $100 trillion to $300 trillion worldwide, things seem prosperous, but now, as interest rates are going up, we're now starting to see the symptoms of these debt excesses. First Republic Bank failed this past week. That's on the heels of Silicon Valley Bank. That's on the heels of Signature Bank. These are not small banks. These are good-sized regional banks that needed to be bailed out or backstopped. This is a symptom of debt excess and deflation. 
Now, I believe this deflationary environment is going to have to accelerate, and the Fed will likely, at some future point, as I have been predicting, pivot. They'll likely reduce interest rates. They may go back to quantitative easing. They'll go back to easy money policies, no matter what they call it. Easy money policies are easy money policies. But eventually, we will have to see deflation. Now, I want to share with you some numbers, and I want to share with you these numbers and compare them to the numbers we saw in 1929 at the onset of the Great Depression. In 1929, the U.S. economy produced $105 billion. Economic output in 1929 was $105 billion a year. Private sector debt levels at that time were about $150 billion. So if you take debt of $150 billion and make that the numerator of the fraction, and you take economic output of $105 billion and make that the denominator of the fraction, you get about 1.4. You get 1.43 to be exact. So in 1929, debt was 143% greater in the private sector than economic output. Now, debt, as you all know, debt is a drag on economic growth. If you have debt, which requires you to make payments to stay current on your loan, you know that as you make payments, you've got less discretionary income to spend today. So debt is a drag on economic growth. Well, by 1933, gross domestic product fell from 105 billion to 57 billion. That's a big decline. Not quite half, but almost half. In 1933, private sector debt was still at about 120 billion dollars. Then we had a debt to GDP ratio of about 2 to 1. Now today, based upon my research, private sector debt levels stand at about 154% of what the economy produces. We've got about a $25 trillion economy today, much different numbers than the $105 billion we had in 1929. But keep in mind the debt to GDP ratio in 1929 was 143% today, It's 154%. That means debt today in the private sector, when measured as a percentage of the economy, is higher but very similar to what we saw in 1929. But the similarities really stop there because when we look at the level of debt that the U.S. government had in 1929 and compare that to debt the U.S. government has today, we get a number that's nothing short of alarming. U.S. government debt in 1929 was about $17 billion. Well, $17 billion as a percentage of economic output of $105 billion is about 16%. So in 1929, U.S. government debt was about 16% of the economy, while private sector debt was 143%. Today, 
even though we've got this debt ceiling standoff going on in Washington, the official national debt stands at about $32 trillion. As I just mentioned, economic output in the United States today is about $25 trillion. So the ratio of government debt to economic output is just under 130%. Compare that to the 16% in 1929, and you see that today, when compared to 1929, the government is fundamentally broke and insolvent. It's also important to note that the current national debt number does not include the unfunded obligations of the Social Security and Medicare programs. So let me close this segment and summarize using an analogy with which many of the listeners to today's program will be familiar. In 1929, the U.S. government had room on the credit card to fund many of the social and economic relief programs of the 1930s. They could go out and borrow money. The debt that the U.S. government had when compared to economic output was at a reasonable level. That is not true today. That's why the Fed has funded recent relief programs via currency creation, which has led to a level of inflation over the past few years that we haven't seen in more than 40 years. Now, moving ahead, there seems to be a pretty strong commitment to make bank depositors whole and provide relief and stimulus programs to those the government deems worthy. I believe that we're going to have to see the Fed resort back and create more currency, but that will precede, I believe, a severe deflationary environment. I'll be talking more in the next two segments with my special guest today, Michael Pento, about this very topic. Again, if you're just joining me, I do have a May special report available to you. Visit requestyourreport.com to request the IRA and 401k strategies May special report. That is requestyourreport.com. I'll be back after these words with my special guest, Mr. Michael Pento. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me once again on today's program is returning guest, Mr. Michael Pento. Longtime listeners will recognize Michael as the founder and president of Pento Portfolio Strategies. He is also the host of the popular podcast, The Midweek Reality Check. You can learn more about both Pento Portfolio Strategies and The Midweek Reality Check podcast by visiting pentoport.com. Hey, Michael, welcome back to the program and thanks for joining us. Hey, great to be with you, Dennis. Good timing. Yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit about, there's, there's so much to talk about, but let's start with what's going on in banking. First, we had Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, now First Republic. Bank stocks were down again this week because there's a few more banks on the ropes. Uh, how bad does this get? Well, unfortunately, because of the megalomaniac morons that run uh, the Federal Reserve, uh, this is just getting started. I just put out a commentary on my website. You guys could go there and and look at it yourself. Um, The problem with the banking system is pretty simple. So for um, 10, in in the last 10 years, so 10 out of the last 14 years, 
since May of 2010, the effective Fed funds rate, where it is today, which is 5.1%, is above where 30-year fixed mortgage rates were. So you think about 30-year fixed mortgage rates, they hit a low of 2.65% in 2021. But they've been well below 5% for 10 of the last 14 years, all the way back to May of 2010. So these bank assets are yielding very, very low income streams to banks. Yet, you can go out right now and get over 5% on a risk-free, ultra-short-term treasury note. No liquidity risks, no duration risks, nothing. Over 5%, Dennis. So here's the calculation many people have made. I know I have made this calculation. They said to themselves, to their local bankers, can I receive more than 0.05% on my liquid deposits with you? I mean, I could get a little higher if I do CDs, but I'm talking about liquid money markets. What can I get? And they say, no, I'm not giving you anything because I have plenty of excess reserves that the Federal Reserve gave me post-COVID. I don't need your deposit." So I said, and everybody else seems to be saying the same thing, walking with their, you know, taking their money and walking away with it and saying, thank you very much. I'll take my deposit out of your bank and I'll go put it at a money market mutual fund or in a, or a brokerage firm or go to treasurydirect.gov, buy myself some short-term treasuries, risk-free, no duration risk, no uh, you know, credit risk and get 500 more basis points than I'm getting in a bank, and everybody's doing it. Now, that's just one problem in the banking system. That's removing reserves from the banking system. By the way, banks need reserves to match liquidity requirements and Basel III requirements. But don't forget about the ongoing QT program, which was temporarily interrupted because of the the BTFP program that that the Federal Reserve launched. But... The QT program removes reserves from the banking system. And so the next part of this vicious cycle is we're going to see the recession become manifest, which it has yet to hit. And we're going to see more of bank assets come under duress, like um, commercial real estate, collateralized loan obligations, junk bonds. We haven't seen any stress in the banking system or, or shadow banking system yet because of the recession, but their credit card loans, their auto loans, student loans, if anybody's paying them anymore, supposed to be pretty soon, they're all coming under pressure, and that is going to severely hurt the banking system. Right now, it's just becoming manifest in the regional banks because people say, well, you know, I don't want to have a deposit at my regional bank because uh, I want to have my deposit with J.P. Morgan. Tell me, Dennis, why would I accept 0% of my deposits at J.P. Morgan if I'm not going to accept them at PacWest? It doesn't make a, a, a darn bit of sense. So, Michael, it seems that uh, you know, the, Fed, the Fed has uh, agreed to, to, to backstop all these, these, these banks, make all these depositors whole, which... They pretty much have to. My research shows the deposit insurance reserve fund is, you know, like 0.6% of, 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 of insured deposits. Um, doesn't this just force the Fed right back into to more QE? Sure. Well, first of all, there is no, there's no money in any of these banking, these, these uh, 
bank reserve systems. There's no, there's no money in there, Dennis. You know that. There's no money in the Social Security system. It's just a promise to sell debt to fund these uh, institutions. So if the FDIC was called upon to bail out every you know insolvent bank, the FDIC is insolvent and the government of the United States is insolvent. You, un- you understand that, I'm sure. But listen, the, KR- the KRE is the regional bank ETF. That particular index is down almost 45% since February of this year. What does that tell you? I mean, you, you're talking about being down almost 50% in a matter of a couple of months in the value of the entire regional banking index. So we, to answer your question, the only way out of this, and I'm going to put quotes. You know, I'm on radio. You can't see me with my fingers going quote. The only way out of this is for the Fed to cut interest rates back to a point that brings treasury prices up and yields down. But since a lot of what's troubling these banks, in the, in the case of some of these brokerage institutions, is they own a lot of long-duration treasury bonds, what do you think is going to happen to the rate of inflation? If the Fed returns to QE and ZERP, like I'm quite sure they're going to be forced to do reluctantly in the near future. Well, the long end of the, of the bond market is going to go haywire. Prices are going to crash and yields are going to go much higher because who is going to be dumb enough to believe that the Fed actually has the ability to fight inflation if Powell were to pivot at this point? So, Michael, the, 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 this means that we're, we, we have to have more inflation, but ultimately all this debt has to lead to deflation. And we've had this conversation before. What's your forecast as far as are we going to see inflation near-term, deflation long-term, stagflation? How, how do you see this affecting the economy? Well, I mean, you, 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 you've touched upon the reason why I have an inflation, deflation, and economic cycle model. So my model predicted that we'd first have inflation in 2022, which is what we did. We had breakout inflation. Why was that inflation engendered, Dennis? It wasn't some, I I still hear, you know, even today, we had a supply shock. I mean, what the heck are you talking about, a supply shock? What we had was a Federal Reserve shock and and an insane government that locked down people because of a virus. The entire country was locked down. The whole world was locked down and couldn't produce anything. Yet they were given trillions of dollars to go out and spend. So in the case of the Federal Reserve, $4.5 trillion was monetized of the $6 trillion of helicopter money coming from the Treasury. And there were no goods and services to purchase. There There were supply chain bottlenecks because people couldn't make things. And yet they had all of this phony money thrown at them. That's the whole story. It wasn't just a supply chain issue. Okay? So that's why we had inflation in 2022. I then predicted that we would have disinflation in the latter half of 22 and in 23, which is what we have right now. Inflation has gone from 9.1% down to 5% on the the CPI, headline CPI. Uh, What the next step is, is a very salient risk of deflation, falling prices, not the falling rate of change of prices, 
falling prices due to the fact we have crashing money supply growth, due to the fact that banks are tightening lending standards at the fastest rate in history, due to the fact that banks are going out of business now, and that's where we get our, you know, we have a debt-based monetary system, and when banks can't make loans, and they can't, money supply shrinks. So we're going to have shrinking money supply. We're going to have credit crises. This is a very salient risk, and that has always led to deflation and depression. Now, after that truncated period of time where we have crises in the money markets, I expect Powell to then reluctantly panic, go back to ZERP, go back to QE, and then you're going to see inflation run intractable, I believe, for a very long time. Well, and Michael, certainly uh, when you look at the M2 money supply, which is contracting, that certainly seems to back up what you're saying. And given that, uh, you know, when you have a contracting money supply, then you have ever-increasing uh, need for more currency, both in the public sector and the and the private sector. Uh, you know, I agree with you. I don't, I don't think there can be any other choice. And, and that, how, how bad does inflation get this next time around? Um, if I'm correct, and I, you know, I don't get paid, you know, you can't make money jumping ahead of cycles. So in the investing cycle right now, you, what you need to know is we have disinflation and recession. That's how you should be invested. When my model lets me know and informs me that things are changing, i.e. the Fed is, and Treasury have reliquified the banking system, then I can make a, a, a logical change in my investment strategy to hedge towards intractable inflation and stagflation. Now, you asked me to pontificate. And by the way, how high that inflation runs is, is something that's not as concerning to me in the short term as getting the direction right, because your assets will make money, hopefully, based upon that rate of change of inflation. But back to, back to what the, the question, you, the, the exact answer I want to give you is inflation went to 9.1% headline CPI. And, and that, at that time, we still had many people had complete faith in Jerome Powell that he would be able to handle the inflation crisis. And he put his reputation online saying, hey, I am going to raise interest rates. I'm going to drain my balance sheet and I'm going to bring inflation down. So far, he's doing that. And inflation rates are coming down. However, if he is forced to panic now, it will be a, a, a tacit admission that he can never really get a handle on inflation without destroying the economy. So I think inflation can go well into the double digits, higher than ever before imagined in this country, if he does exactly that. Well, my guest today is Mr. Michael Pento. The website is pentoport.com. You can learn about Michael's uh, Pento portfolio strategies there, as well as the Midweek Reality Check podcast. Again, the website, pentoport.com. I'll continue my conversation with Michael Pento when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us. I'm Dennis Tubergen. You're listening to RLA Radio. I'm chatting today with Mr. Michael Pento. He is the founder and president of Pento Portfolio Strategies. You can learn more about his work, as well as the Midweek Reality Check podcast that he hosts at pentoport.com. Michael, you know, you're talking about uh, prior to um, the break, we were talking about the fact that 
uh, we have disinflation now, and then at some point in the future, you're forecasting more inflation. Um, seems like that will exacerbate this move we're seeing uh, around the globe away from the U.S. dollar. What's your take on that particular topic? Well, short term, I mean, we, we, we've been long the dollar for about almost two years now. We sold half of it about six months ago. Quote me exactly on the time, but we made a lot of, you know, we, we did very well on that trade. Uh, don't, don't do very well on every trade, but we did very well on that trade when everybody else was negative of the dollar. And I still get a lot of feedback negatively, like, hey, the dollar's losing ground. You know, it's going to be losing its world reserve currency status. And I completely, I understand that. I've been ahead of that curve. I've written about it for years. It's, dollar is definitely going to lose its world reserve currency status. That's a long, protracted process. But right now, why we still hold half of our dollar position is because during times of global recessions and global bank banking crises, the dollar is seen as a safe haven. Now, I think it might be seen less so as a safe haven this time around, but still, I think treasuries and the dollar will offer a significant haven for investors simply because there's too much dollar-denominated debt around the world. And when when you're an emerging market and we have an urge, uh, you know, a recession emerge and you have to pay back a loan that's in dollars and they're in short supply, you have to sell your currency and buy dollars to pay back that loan in a panic. And this is what's going to happen again. It happens all of the time, Dennis. But this again is something very short-lived. I believe firmly that when Powell does make any kind of pivot, to lowering interest rates, it's going to be the end of the dollar's hegemony and dominance as a world's reserve currency status for many years to come. Does that mean it's going away completely? Absolutely not. I mean, look at the look at the competition for the dollar. Is the dollar going to lose ground to the euro, to the yen? It can't lose ground to the you know the yuan. The yuan's a close you know it's a closed currency system, so it'll it'll lose some of its dominance as the world's reserve currency and it will lose value against other fiat currencies but in the short term it's still a buy and that's what i'm you know i'm most concentrated on what's going to happen between now and the next three months and i'm moderately bullish on the dollar solely because of the stress in the global economic system so michael moving ahead here over the next three months or so. Talk a little bit about uh, investments on which you're bullish. Well, I'm, bu- I'm bullish on bonds. I've been, last time I was on your program, I think I made a pretty good case of owning the highest quality treasuries, which is, again, a fantastic trade. Bond proxies like utilities are also a very good place to hide. Low beta stocks over high beta stocks. In other words, I would start, if you still own the, the high volatile tech sector, which has had a pretty decent year so far, I would run as fast as you can from that sector. Uh, dollar, we do own some of the dollars I just mentioned, we just talked about. Gold is at a, a 15 to 17% weighting in my portfolio. That's 300 basis points below my max. So I'm just about as bullish on gold as you could possibly be at this moment. That includes physical gold and the miners. Michael, would you be as bullish on silver as you are gold, and why or why not? 
the answer is I'm bullish on silver. I'm not as bullish on silver as gold. If you look at historically, silver does about as half as good as gold over time. Um, silver is a monetary metal. It's a hybrid. It's monetary metal, and it is also a base metal. So during times of a global slowdown, it tends to do far a, a good a job as gold as a hedge for your portfolio. So I would own some silver, but I would definitely own more gold than the silver. Michael, uh, let's talk a little bit about your take for the the forecast, rather, for uh, the broad stock market the rest of this year. Take the U.S. major indices like the S&P 500 or the Dow. Uh, well, I don't give um, forecasts for the Dow uh, in points. Uh, the forecast is for much lower prices. We have a debt ceiling uh, confrontation going on right now. It has to be resolved in the next few weeks. Um, the history is clear that it's going to get resolved. This time, it's much more difficult than ever before. Uh, I believe that uh, McCarthy, Speaker McCarthy, is not going to be able to put that vote to the floor unless there's significant spending cuts. So if he's going to put a, a, a vote to the floor without significant spending cuts to raise the debt ceiling, Matt Gates is going to get him out of there and he'll lose his speaker gavel. So it's a very, very difficult, fragile coalition. He's got to bring over those, you know, very ultra conservative. And thank God we have them, the Freedom Caucus there in, in the uh, in the Republican Party in the House. Um, but maybe the debt ceiling does get raised. Maybe it doesn't. But the last time this happened, in 2011, the Dow and the, and the S&P lost. Significant percentage of their value. Um, so short term, that's just one of the things I'm looking at. Of course, having four banks fail, four banks have failed and this year. And the banks that failed aren't insignificant. They're the second, third, and fourth largest bank failures in history. So they're big banks that are failing, even though they're regional banks at this point. Uh, I would think that Given the scenarios and the, the, the issues that I just talked about, and this is not a price target, this is just a valuation uh, comment, that the S&P, which is currently trading at you know north of 4,000, uh, should go down to 3,000. So that's a 25% hit on the S&P 500, just to reach about fair value based on total market cap of equities to GDP. And... Usually in bear markets, valuations just don't go to, you know, normal, they shoot below the average by a lot. So 25, 30% down from here would not surprise me at all. And that all, it's, a, it's all predicated on what exactly Powell does and when does he do it? So when will Powell intervene? It was easier, Dennis, for Powell to intervene in 2019. Remember in 2019, we had a repo market crisis. The Fed was uh, raising rates, stopped cutting rates in 2018, and then we had a repo crisis in 2019 because of the ongoing QT program that was occurring back then. And Powell started cutting rates in 2019 before anybody heard of the word COVID, the, the, the disease COVID-19. So it was easier for him to do that, Dennis, because inflation was quiescent. But he cannot do that now. He knows that inflation was running amok and intractable just, just a few months ago. 
He started raising rates in March of 22. He was buying mortgage-backed securities in the first part of 2022. So he knows that if he were to, to, to start cutting rates now, he knows the inflation battle that he's going to have is going to be one that's going to be lost. And he's not yet ready to give up that fight. He's not ready to take that battle on, I should say. So it's going to take a very severe banking crisis, one where commercial paper can't be, you know, a, a completely clogged money market where you can't flow commercial paper, junk bonds are in free fall. Um, you, you, you know, you can't issue any new debt. Uh, that's the kind of thing I'm thinking, or how about this, Dennis? How about a, a couple of these pension plans run into trouble? Private equity plans run into, uh, private equity firms run into problems. These are things I think is going to happen. They might happen faster than you think. And that'll bring Powell to the table. It'll force him to the table because in the end, in the end, inflation is important. But, he, you know, he claims it's job number one, even though he has no idea what causes it or how to, how to tackle it uh, or handle it adequately. He, he claims inflation is his number one issue before employment, before anything else. But in reality, his number one directive is to make sure banks can survive and function well. That's his number one directive. And when they stop functioning, when the money market's clogged, uh, guess what? It's back to QE and ZERP. You know, Michael, in the time we have left, I, I was just reading that there, uh, I believe there's about $3 trillion of outstanding commercial real estate debt. And I think about half of that is going to have to get refinanced over the next couple of years. Uh, and that debt has largely adjustable interest rates um, isn't this going to be a huge economic headwind for, 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 for real estate and for the banking sector over the next couple of years? A hundred percent. This is commercial real estate is, um, maybe the next, the new ground zero of a banking crisis. Um, but it's going to be just part of the whole, uh, devolution of the system. Don't forget we have credit card loans, auto loans, student loans are going to have to start being prepaid. Um, we have junk bonds in the banking system. The shadow banking system is replete with collateralized loan obligations, which are highly leveraged loans to businesses that couldn't even access the credit markets. All of these things are ha all these things are going to are are going to devolve, and we haven't even seen the unemployment rate tick up yet. We, in other words, we haven't even seen the start of the recession. We just maybe see the fringes. You know, maybe the outer bands of the hurricane are, are, are buffeting the coast right now, so to speak. But wait until you start seeing, you know, vacancy rates shoot up for commercial real estate. Not only commercial real estate, but private real estate. You know, you, you have a lot of homes, single family homes, about 20 to 25 percent of single family homes that were purchased over the past few years were done by Wall Street and investors. That investment makes a lot of sense when you have a renter who has a job, who's making huge payments, huge income streams to the owner. But when the home prices start to fall and your renter doesn't pay you any longer because he lost his job, what do you think the value of that mortgage-backed security, that private mortgage-backed security is going to be? These are all the assets, CRE, private mortgage-backed securities, CLOs, junk bonds, 
private equity, pension plans, all of those troubles have yet to begin, and they're right around the corner. Well, my guest today has been Mr. Michael Pento. He is the founder and president of Pento Portfolio Strategies. He is the host of the Midweek Reality Check podcast. You can learn more about both at pentoport.com. Michael, always a pleasure to catch up with you. Appreciate you taking time to join us on today's program, and we'd love to have you back down the road. Anytime, Dennis. Thank you. We will return after these words. I'm Dennis Tubergen. You are listening to RLA Radio, and thanks again to my special guest, Mr. Michael Pento, for joining me on today's program. If you're just tuning in, it is May, which means I do have a special report for you for the month of May. The May special report is titled IRA and 401k Strategies. To get your copy of the report, all you need to do is visit requestyourreport.com, and I'll not only send you a copy of the IRA and 401k Strategies report, which contains not only investing strategies, also tax management strategies on your retirement accounts, Go to requestyourreport.com, and I'll send you that as well as some bonus information. Egon Von Greyerts was a guest here on the program uh, about a month ago. Mr. Von Greyerts uh, just put out an article that had some interesting points in it. He says, since 1971, writing about the devaluation of currencies around the world, but specifically the dollar, He also mentioned the euro, the pound, and the yen. But all these currencies have lost 97 to 99% since 1971 when you compare the currency's purchasing power to that of gold. Mr. Von Greyer says this in his article, quote, We are likely to experience at least the same decline in the next five-plus years. He thinks as do I, that the Fed will pivot. The Fed will go back to easy money policies. And he believes that as a result, we will see a 97 to 99% decline against gold in the next five plus years. Now that seems extreme on the surface, doesn't it? That in the next five years, we'll see the same level of devaluation as we've seen over the last 52 Well, he makes a point that these moves, these devaluation moves, history tells us, are always exponential and they are typically terminal. Now, he uses an illustration that I believe Dr. Chris Martinson has used here on the program as well, and I want to share it with you just to make the point. If you can visualize Yankee Stadium and you can visualize someone walking to the middle of Yankee Stadium with an eyedropper. And they start by putting one drop of water on the lawn at Yankee Stadium. They wait one minute, and then they put down two drops. They wait another minute, and they put down four drops. A minute later, they put down eight drops, and so on. Every minute, doubling the number of drops coming from the eyedropper. So the question is, how long will it take to fill Yankee Stadium to the top? So the entire stadium is like a giant bowl of water. 
Well, the answer is it will take about an hour. After 45 minutes, the stadium is only 7% full. But then in the last less than 10 minutes, the stadium goes from being 7% full to 100% full. That illustrates the law of exponential moves. Now, if you go back to Weimar, Germany, Weimar, Germany is probably the most infamous episode of hyperinflation. In January of 1919, it took 170 German marks to buy one ounce of gold. Three years later, in January of 1922, it took just under 4,000 marks to buy an ounce of gold. So in three years, the price of gold in German marks went from $170 an ounce, 170 marks per ounce, to 3,976 marks per ounce of gold. Then one year later, in January of 1923, the price of gold in German marks went from 3,976 marks per ounce to 372,500 marks per ounce. That's just in one year. By October 2 of that year, just nine months later, it took 6.6 billion German marks to buy one ounce of gold. At the end of October, just one month later, it took 1.3 trillion German marks to buy an ounce of gold. By November 5, just five days later, it took 8.7 trillion German marks to buy an ounce of gold. And 25 days later, when the German government declared a state of emergency, it took 87 trillion German marks to buy an ounce of gold. That, again, is the law of exponential moves in reality. But you don't even need to go back that far. If you look at pesos and gold in Argentina today, gold is up in the last 23 years 17,000%. It took 250 pesos to buy an ounce of gold in 1999. Today... It takes 444,000 pesos to buy that same ounce of gold. So these are really good examples of hyperinflation and really good examples of the law of exponential moves. Now, Mr. Von Greyerd says that we are likely going to see a big move in gold when priced in dollars. I happen to agree. Now, if you haven't yet taken a look at adding gold to your portfolio, many people may want to consider it. You can contact us, and we'd be glad to arrange a time to talk to you. And if you'd like some other strategies for your IRA and 401k, I would encourage you to request the May Special Report. The May Special Report is titled IRA and 401k Strategies. It contains not only tax strategies, but also investment strategies. Go to requestyourreport.com, and I'll be very glad to get a copy of that report out to you. Again, the website, requestyourreport.com.
That's my program for this week. Hope you got something you can use. I'll be back again next week.